Hey everyone, and welcome to the Michigan Film Vault. My name is Nick Noel, and as always, I am joined by my co-host for this illustrious endeavor, Matt Giles. Hello, everyone. So that's Matt, the dulcet tones of yeah. Mr. Matt Giles. Um, yep. Have you ever considered um, being some sort of soul singer or soul podcaster, if you will? I mean, I'm I'm much like uh, like Ron Swanson in that way. I might have a secret life as a soul singer. You, you yeah. Know, though. <laughs> um, I think that would be really cool. You could be like Buddy. I don't know why I picked Buddy would be your soul singer name. That doesn't really make any sense. Um, but I mean, if I can make a, a strong leap to Buddy here, uh, yeah. people when they do an impression of me, it's always the uh, narwhal from the movie elf talking to buddy sure okay so so it's always you know the hi buddy hope you find your dad (laughs) so that's that's what i sound like apparently so i've just i've just rolled with it yeah i mean i could see you as a clay narwhal (laughs) yeah i mean mean, you do have that giant horn coming out of your face so i mean no one has proof that i didn't do the voice of the narwhal no matter what imdb says you don't have proof you can't prove a negative exactly exactly there you go um, so today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about probably my favorite movie ever, <laughs> uh, Gross Point Blank, um, which uh, I don't, you know, it's 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 Michigan all over the place. You know what I mean? Um, it takes place in Michigan. It's got people from Michigan. Um, well, actually, I don't know if that's true because I think John Cusack's from Chicago, isn't he? But, yeah, but the screenwriter is from Michigan. Yeah, see, there we go. So, um, let's just let's just jump into it, Matt. This was your—you've never seen this movie before, so this is like very much um, a showdown to decide our friendship. Uh, <laughs> what did you What did you think? I, I liked it. I think overall, um, I don't. I wouldn't go as far as as you are with saying it might be your favorite movie of all time, mm-hmm. uh, but. It was fun. I it seems uh like kind of a random premise, but um yeah, it was I, I had fun with it. I liked um uh, you could tell that someone who uh has lived in Michigan had been behind like I wasn't sure until I, you know, checked afterwards, but it was clear that some of the creative force behind the movie um was indeed from Michigan because mm-hmm. some of the call outs that they made the way they shot it, some of the dialogue. Um, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I should laugh at it or if I should go like, oh, that's kind of like sad but true. But the <laughs> line that uh, his um, his teacher says to him when he first gets back and she says, you know, you're the biggest, you're Detroit's biggest disappearing act since white flight. I <laughs> chuckled at that line and was like, okay, like that's something that makes it clear to me. Like, you know, yeah, you could look that up, but it just felt like a very like, oh, this is from someone who's from here kind of yeah. line. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good reference. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's ironic saying that line in Gross Point, Michigan, which is where all the white people move to exactly from Detroit. But okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so you know, I've I've been I've loved this movie since I first saw it uh, around when it first came out. I must have seen it on like HBO or something because I didn't see it in theaters. Um. And for those who don't know, the the essential premise is John Cusack plays an assassin uh, who um, essentially, like, abandoned his high school girlfriend on on prom 
um, and then disappeared for 10 years, uh, you know, joined the army and then became an assassin after that. Um, and he's invited back to his high school reunion and he, uh, goes. And then during the course of that, uh, endeavor, he's, uh, targeted by several other assassins and also turns out that, uh, the contract that he was given, um, in order to go down there was for his ex-girlfriend's, uh, father. So, uh, it's, you know, not unconvoluted, I would say, but I just enjoy everything. Like, it's got like some of the best comedic and iconic lines to me, at least in in a screenplay that I've that I've ever heard. It's got uh, really good comedy. The action is really good and and doesn't overwhelm though. Um, and uh, the chemistry between like all of the the actors, you know, not just John Cusack and Minnie Minnie Driver, um, but you know, the scenes with everybody is, is pretty amazing. I don't know what it is. It seems like everybody can have chemistry with John Cusack in this movie. Um, yeah, I really liked his uh, his scenes with Dan Aykroyd, which again, this is like such a random movie for, at least in my mind, to see Dan mm-hmm. Aykroyd show up in and like such a random role for him. But there were times that he was doing, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the character that he played in Saturday Night Live, but like he was always, what was he like, presenting toys or something like that on yeah on i don't yeah i don't remember the name but yeah yeah but like he 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 talks his inflection in this is kind of like that like oh you know it's just it's just a little thing here you just do this here. <laughs> yeah like doing yeah. doing that kind of that, that kind of thing but yeah it was fun to see him and uh john cusack kind of spar off and have this like love hate mutual respect for one another but never quite uh, kill one another until you know of course uh, near the end of the movie but mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because you've you've known about that you've seen this movie you know for or saw this movie a long time ago I just saw it and so in my mind it's it's kind of interesting to um, to see its its similarities or rather Barry's uh, similarities to this movie the the TV show on on HBO starring Bill yeah Hader. yeah um, there's a, I mean, it's not like a direct copy or anything, but there's a lot of, you know, Hitman uh, kind of realizing that he doesn't necessarily want to kill people anymore. And in the case of Barry, it's him discovering an acting class and realizing that that's what he wants to do. And in John Cusack's case here, it's, you know, coming back home and realizing that he's still in love with the girl he left on prom night. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it was it was a fun kind of premise and i don't know if barry took any you know kind of inspiration from it but um i could see this movie kind of being the seed or the german of of an idea for many um you know things that would that would come in the 2000s to present yeah yeah exactly um it's it's interesting how like this movie and and you know the things that are similar like it like you mentioned barry just now um can make a ostensibly horrible person, you know, like the guy kills people for money, regardless of whether or not they're bad people. That's still not a good thing to do. Uh, yeah. I don't think we're going to make the claim that, uh, you know, hired assassins are, are sympathetic, but they somehow make him sympathetic. I yeah, think it's because you of, never see him. I don't yeah. Know. He, yeah. He kind of loses his own argument in the movie because he keeps saying the phrase, you know, um, chances are if I've, I've shown up at your door, you've done something to deserve it. But then, you know, the reveal at the end is that the whole reason he's in Detroit, like you said, is, um, to, to kill his, 
you know, former love's father. Um, yeah. and, and you find out that the reason that he's got a, a hit put out on him is because of some something that he was testifying. So clearly mm-hmm. he's not a bad guy. So like everything that John Cuse, like I think it was like a way of like getting the audience on his side, like, oh, he's probably just killing, you know, bad people but then it's kind of glossed over at the end that like oh yeah that whole argument that he was making the entire movie kind of goes out the window because her dad didn't do anything wrong like he might be kind of an asshole but uh Mm -hmm. he was clearly doing the right thing and bad people wanted him eliminated so um yeah exactly it's something they don't really dwell on or really go into that much because like they said they want you they obviously want you to like the main character, so yeah. you can't really uh, focus too much on he might have just killed innocent people or people who weren't that bad. Um, We've all done it. Everyone, yeah, sure. you know, we're all guilty of it, so, you know, let's just roll with it. <laughs> In some way or another, yes. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, so, I also, something I also appreciate this movie is... Um, John Cusack's family is in it. So um, so Joan Cusack plays his assistant. And they I think they only have like one actual scene together where they're in the same room. Yeah. Most of the time they are uh, speaking over the phone. But it's still kind of interesting to, to see them um, interact. Um, and also his other sister has a, has a brief uh, part in it too as one of the people he went to high school with. Um, so that's kind of fun. I don't know. It's just, it's just fun. Yeah. I, and I noticed too, um, you know, I'd, I'd have to look into more kind of like, I guess what the style is saying, but I noticed pretty much all of the cuts to Joan Cusack's scenes. Um, they're using like the, the Dutch tilt. It seems like mm-hmm. as far as like the camera angles and giving it a very like noirish feel, which sure. I thought was kind of fun. Um, even though like the movie itself, I wouldn't say is trying to be, a film noir but like i don't know they make it they make her office and like the way they kind of light it the way the camera angles are set up it kind of looks like you know what you would think of as like being a detective's office um, mm-hmm. film noir so i kind of like that they were kind of playing with styles like that um, for both scenes. yeah yeah i think uh you know those kind of things that might imply her discomfort with the situation you know like yeah. it's interesting how she um is is encouraging him to you know complete his contract basically because he uh has to make amends to this other group basically for for they perceived of him screwing up a hit in the beginning <laughs> uh, yeah. the beginning of the movie um and and so like as he's continually like putting it off putting it off and interacting with people from his past um she's getting more and more kind of concerned that, that something's going wrong. Um, What did you, so one of my favorite characters and he's not in the movie that much, but he pops up every once in a while is um, his doctor, his, the Martin John Cusack plays a a character named Martin blank. Hence the title gross point blank. Um, It's a very clever title, I think, but, um, (laughs) but uh, he plays, uh, Alan Arkin plays his therapist. Um, but is he that, his therapist? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think he is. Well, no, it, well he doesn't I mean, want to like, be. Yeah, but. exactly. That's what I'm getting at. There's there's so many parts like where uh, there's like one of my favorite interactions with them is uh, Martin keeps showing up to therapy every week, even though the doctor 
his doctor said he doesn't want to work with him because uh, he told him he was an assassin <laughs> and he's yeah. not supposed to, he's supposed to uh, tell the police that. Um, but like Martin's like, uh, basically like, I want to be like, you're not you're like, it's essentially saying it's like, you're not going to tell the police, you know, like I want to be open. I want to be free, you know, plus I know where you live. And he's like, that's yeah. not nice. <laughs> that wasn't designed to make me feel good. <laughs> like yeah. It's just, Oh God, it's such a, such a fun, fun interaction. You can see him like his frustration and it's really like weird and how he's uh, like just very uncomfortable with this person showing up in his office all the time. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like he needs his own therapist because of what John Cusack is doing to him pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What, did you have any particular like favorite moments? Is there something like um, how I guess isn't this your favorite movie? I guess that's my main thing. Like, <laughs> how are you waffling about it? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, again, I enjoyed it. It just there were um, there were elements of it that I don't know. It just seemed like it was kind of too tidy by the by the end of it. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know yeah it's it's kind of playing with the you know like he's a he's a an assassin he's coming home for his reunion dealing with all that stuff it's kind of a rom-com it also is like this action movie and then kind of all of these other assassins come in at the end for this kind of big shootout by the way (laughs) they are all terrible shots like just (laughs) just bad um like john wick would be very upset if he was if he was in that situation Mm -hmm. um but and then you know the whole thing is that like a mini driver's character realizes that you know he's an assassin but then it's just you know like he's trying to say like why he doesn't want to do it anymore and why he realized that he loved her and then they just kind of um you know drive off into the sunset at the end which is fine like i don't think this movie is trying to be anything other than mm-hmm. what it is it just you know again certain times certain movies you know i'll forgive some things but like the screenwriter brain kicks on for me and it's mm-hmm. like oh, why did they why did they make that decision like this seems kind of like just an easy way out here like why are they so i enjoyed the movie it just kind of felt like everything wrapped up too neatly in a bow at the end um and that's yeah, I mean, my only hesitation was. it's it's definitely uh, given the premise it's weird that it follows or it can feel weird sometimes maybe to some people that it follows this kind of rom-com format, you know, yeah. where like you have the, you know, initial like flirtation, you have, you know, the, um, they argue at some point, you know, they're kind of going back and forth. There's some hurt feelings. There's, you know, the, uh, build towards, uh, reconciliation or, or, you know, romance. Then there's a problem that splits them apart. And then there's another reconciliation. Um, and in this movie, the problem that splits them apart, splits them apart is that Martin kills someone with a pen and, uh, she finds him standing over his corpse. So like, in fairness, the guy was trying to kill him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if there's another, but you you know, usually it would be like, you know, found out that you were just dating him to write an article about how to break up with a guy. Um, and then realize that you're actually in love with each other, even though the whole premise of your relationship was based on a uh, bet or something. I'm trying to remember the plot to how to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm struggling. Um, 
Don't but worry, this, we'll, cover, we'll, we'll find a Michigan connection and do that movie on the next episode. There we go, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but, you know, in this, it's that, you know, Martin's a, a killer, you know, and <laughs> he kills people. Yeah, um, I think I, that's what I mean. It's a, it's a, it's a mix of um, genres, a mix of styles. And again, it mostly, it works. Um, and I think that their chemistry is really good and they really kind of pull off the whole, like, you know, um what we could have had what we could have been and you know can we kind of move forward like it has mm-hmm. that like rom-com aspect going for it and then it's also this action movie um in in certain respects and you know him kind of having a crisis of conscience um about what he does and coming home and you know realizing that uh the house that he used to live in uh is now you know a convenience store mm-hmm. um you can't go home again altman yeah apparently you can shop there yeah exactly (laughs) which i thought too it was random that um his mother was in uh, a nursing home and was Mm -hmm. dealing with dementia um you know like it just and like he didn't know where she was like there was just like i get the whole like i i left as soon as high school was done and now it's 10 years later like a lot of movies have done that but it just seemed weird that uh you know he he wouldn't know kind of where his mother was or anything like that. Yeah. Um, considering yeah. there's seemingly no one else in his life uh, that, um, you know, is there to take care of her. But again, I'm not trying to get into the, <laughs> the weeds on this thing. It's just little things like that. Like the movie is good overall. I just, you know, there's things that I can nitpick kind of my joke slash uh, serious uh, criticism of it is that, jeremy piven is in this movie because i i just i can't you hate jeremy piven (laughs) yeah i can't just him and john cusack are also in serendipity and for whatever yeah they used to be best friends oh really okay yeah yeah okay well jeremy piven's in in a lot of john cusack movies and then i think they had a falling out at some point well, I know I, uh, you know, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't guess on this without having the facts to back it up. But I feel like Jeremy Piven's been accused of um, improper behavior, uh, and also just being an asshole. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So maybe that was that was their falling out. But yeah, mm-hmm. I just um, also John Cusack's not not an asshole too. So, <laughs> but I like John Cusack a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. More. Like I, you know. He can be an asshole if he wants to be, but Jeremy Piven, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) But no, yeah, like that's, you know, even the scenes that Jeremy Piven's in, like ignoring the fact that it's Jeremy Piven, like he just, like, I think the movie would have been fine without him. Like, yeah, he helps John Cusack dispose of a body, but yeah. Like it, he his stuff just kind of felt like it deterred from the story a bit more. Same thing with uh, Hank Azaria and the other assassin. Like, I liked them, but at the end of it there was no like to me anyways it didn't feel like there was really a payoff to them like they've been they're working with dan Aykroyd and they're kind Mm -hmm. of like plotting their move against uh john cusack but then at the end of it uh they they kind of show up and they just get blown away by both um cusack's character and dan Aykroyd's character and i'm like oh and a good chunk of the movie with them and they're just kind of killed sure that's fine you know that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, but it, I think it's supposed to show kind of the menace that's surrounding John Cusack so that there's other people involved, you know, yeah. so it's not just between Dan Aykroyd. It's a little, like I said, convoluted at times where 
you know, Dan Aykroyd essentially ratted John Cusack out to the government to have him assassinated. But, you know, uh, I I will say I still think like I just like the conversations between uh, Hank Azaria and um, I can't remember. I think it's K. Todd Freeman maybe is the guy who plays him. Um, uh, But Hank Azaria and his partner, you know, where they're talking about like um, if if we kill John Cusack when he be right after he kills somebody, then we're the good guys. And if we can't go kill him before he kills somebody else, then we're the bad guys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I will say, um, since you asked, you know, kind of what I, what I liked about it too. I love, it was, it was refreshing in this one that people ask him what he does and he doesn't make up a story. Yeah. He just, I love that. <laughs> he just tells everyone exactly the truth. And like, no one just no one believes him and it's like that's brilliant like that's yeah like most of the time movies like this i mean there's not a lot but you know movie like where someone's trying to hide what they do for whatever reason it's Mm -hmm. like they'll make up this whole elaborate story for the purposes of you know comedy or like you know making the audience laugh but in this case like he just tells everyone exactly the truth Mm -hmm. and it's funny as a result because no one takes him seriously yeah like he he's talking to mini driver's dad and he's like so what do you do now martin he's like uh i'm a professional killer basically and he's like good it's a oh good it's a growth industry yeah exactly yeah it's just yeah he does, and that scene when they first are kind of reintroduced that's one of the like you know to your point about everyone kind of having um chemistry with john cusack's mm-hmm. character like that that reintroduction for both of them like they're both kind of sizing each other up but again there's like a mutual respect like you know maybe the father doesn't approve of him and Minnie driver's relationship but they you know like throughout the brief conversation you can tell by the end of it the dad kind of respects him a little bit like because mm-hmm. he's just not afraid of him um, yeah so i like i like their their interaction but yeah the the whole just telling everyone exactly what he does um that was refreshing in, in <laughs> yeah like there's no like weird convoluted stories to try and like get around it he just he's just very open and honest yeah, um exactly. I uh I have a correction to make and it's very embarrassing. So for the something about 22 years that I've been loving this movie, I thought Alan Arkin's character was Dr. Altman, but it's Dr. Oatman. So um that's embarrassing that I never bothered to look that up. <laughs> well, you know, you you love what you love and sometimes facts get mixed around. So, you know, we can forgive you this one time. Also, I this I could be mistaken, but there's a person named bill cusack who plays a waiter so i'm wondering if he's john cusack's brother yep there we uh, go <laughs> <laughs> so like l- at least three of his siblings are in this yeah i mean and he he also um had a, a like the the final screenplay like i think the story um was by the one writer and then the the screenplay i think there was like five different writers on it and john cusack was one of them Mm -hmm. uh as well so like he was clearly you know creatively involved in more of a capacity than just as an actor in this one so um yeah and my i don't i don't know if it's like a correction i need i need to make because i've never i guess been on the record as saying this but as soon as we talked about doing this movie for some reason in my head i had it that it was um, like an Elmore Leonard story because of the Detroit setting and it being like about uh, a hitman, um, mm-hmm. and then it, it's it's not it's not that at all. Yet I think in it watching feels it, a little bit like it. 
Yeah, like that, I'm like I'm not far off. Like for having not seen the movie and just assuming that it was an Elmore Leonard thing, then seeing the movie, I'm kind of like it still kind of feels like you know that would be a valid argument to make. Like Elmore Leonard yeah. should have had something to do with this movie. Like it feels like uh, if Elmore Leonard was born instead of being, I think like the 40s or 50s. Uh, he was born in the seventies and was like a Gen X person. This was the, yeah. this would be the movie he would write. Yeah, exactly. Um, something else that I really like about this movie, and I think it, it was praised for at the time, is the soundtrack. Um, yeah. So, like, the music was at least supervised by Joel Strummer, who was um, in the Clash, and so there are some Clash songs in here, obviously. But there's like a lot of like just early 90s early to mid 90s you know um kind of indie rock songs in here um i think uh is it it's not violent femmes um yeah violent femmes yeah the the violent femmes that like yeah yeah, the um blister in the sun i think that's the first time i uh, first place where i heard that song um which was kind of like a staple of my childhood at least Um, i um i personally like i don't know if you you caught this or if if you'll even care but i I, it made me chuckle but when they first pull in and are walking in to the reunion the song that is playing is the same song that is used in the dirty jobs opening um you know dirty jobs with mike rowe like and oh okay i thought uh yeah okay yeah the, the the uh I, I, there's been many a a weekend day where like, you know, nothing's on and like, there's been like a marathon of dirty jobs and (laughs) it just, it gives me joy to, you know, occasionally watch dirty jobs. So like that theme is very much in my head. So like they're walking in and I hear that, you know, Um, (laughs) and so I was just like, Oh, Hey, they're playing the actual song in this. Like, obviously it was a song before it was the dirty jobs theme, but that, that just gave, that made me happy. I should say just, you know, yeah. Um, So to talk a little bit more about the, the Michigan connection, like, as you said, the, the writer, uh, at least the initial writer seems to be from Michigan, um, you know, and it was obviously shot in Michigan. Like you see the ambassador bridge in it. Um, and it's interesting how, I mean, it might just be that I have more of a relationship with this, but it's interesting how this just has a feel like it's in Michigan. Unlike the last movie we did, um, which was supposed to take place there. Um, and I think was only, limit like shot in there limited in a limited fashion um and how like for people who live in this state like you can really tell i guess like that it's you know the last one presumed innocent just felt like you know generic city whereas this is like obviously trying to say something about this specific place and time yeah and that's what i mean like in watching it like i didn't know until afterwards and kind of checking up on some stuff to prepare for our our conversation here um i was like this this doesn't just feel like it was you know shot here like there's clearly a reason that it's set here and it feels like it's from the mind of someone who's you know lived in michigan um there was a lot there was a you know it's not just about call outs but i don't it's a i guess i mean like that's kind of why we're doing this podcast is because there's something you know special at least in our minds because we live here like Mm -hmm. about being from michigan and so this is kind of I would say to your point, like a quintessential like movie that was shot and takes place in Michigan. Um, I would, I would give props for that. 
Yeah, I mean the just like the the layouts of the towns and like the and you know it they don't get into it but the very um to whiteness of the movie i guess like <laughs> I, of those locations you know um of of like gross point michigan like you can kind of see how like it's a rich white area and this isn't a good part don't get me wrong but but that that is reflective in the movie that they are being at least accurate for that time about what that place was like like even to the point where the the neighborhoods that they're walking in are are patrolled by like private security people who will come up and um like accost people who are who are hanging around too much yeah I, I, it was which is let like, to be also fair uh problematic throughout history and also indicative of a severe um, at, uh, at least subtle racism, if not overt racism yeah. uh, at times. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it, uh, I don't think it's, it's not trying to change any of that. It is commenting on it. And I think it plays it a little bit safe in that regard. Yeah, definitely. But it's also not a movie that's trying to make any kind of, you know, major statement. It just is what it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's acknowledging just it. And with, then, yeah. yeah. And then moving on. I will say that uh, I watched it uh, with my girlfriend, Amber, and she pointed out that when John Cusack is first driving uh, back, like driving through Gross Point, um, he drives past the same store like multiple times. Like you see it, like it keeps cutting back to him in the Mm -hmm. car and he drives by like, so clearly it's like they had, you know, a certain stretch of road blocked off and they just kept kind of resetting each time, which I, I, I thought that was funny, but you know. Little little movie tricks like that. It's like, oh yeah, just driving, <laughs> just doing the same route over and over again. Um, so what I think is also interesting is that this feels more than anything, at least to me, like a John Cusack movie. Like I think he was a producer. Like it seemed like a, very much it's his influence, uh, not the, necessarily the director, not necessarily the writer, like um, or at least the initial writers. Um, and I would say that's more in like the, the dialogue and the um, style of it. You know, if you look at like the way Martin Blank dresses, it's usually like in like all black in for the time, a very cool outfit. And now looks, I still think it looks cool, but I'm biased, but now it's also like very baggy and uh, like the shirt collar is very like loose and weird. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was asking, because I've, I've been, I don't know, lately, um, you know, like when I find um, shirts or suits or anything like that, like people are wearing that I enjoy, I'm like, I'm trying to pay attention more to, you know, the current style of things. And so <laughs> I turned I turned to Amber and I was like, was this a 90s thing? Because like, it doesn't just feel like a John Cusack thing in this movie. Like, like even watching, you know, older episodes of the X-Files, like, David Duchovny's oh, yeah. wearing suits that are too big for him. And I'm like, but, you know, just kind of anything that you see, like even going back to Presumed Innocence, some of those, like the suits that people were wearing and that just felt um, overly big. And I'm like, was that the style? Because now I feel like, you know, when you see people in suits, if it's a good suit, like it's, it's you Tailored, know, slimming yeah. on, yeah, it's yeah. slimming on them. It's, there's nothing baggy about it. In fact, it's all meant to be like perfectly sized. Um mm-hmm. Unless someone just, you know, like if if you're wearing anything baggy, it's because, you know, you um, it, it might be a suit that you found or like that comes close. But 
yeah, I feel like the styles moved more towards kind of like a sleeker look. So um, yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Like <laughs> it was like all it this is, stuff just seems very baggy. You know, it's interesting because in some ways the movie feels um, timeless in certain aspects, you know, but you kind of have to forgive um, the clothing choices and, you know, some of the technology and stuff. But um you know the the basic story like i feel could pretty much without changing really anything um take place now like you could set it in except for the fact of someone having a job at a radio station um besides that you would you would uh um probably not have to change much yeah exactly <laughs> um cuz like he does have a cell phone the cell phone just looks weird he does have you know a computer the computer just looks weird it has yeah. some kind of internet capability you know yeah. um or you know at least some early version of that um but yeah it was, it was funny you were talking about the x-files i've been rewatching that and especially uh Gillian Anderson is just swimming in every outfit she has to wear. She'll have this like, you know, her FBI coat on and it looks like she borrowed it from a larger person. Like exactly. yeah. it doesn't look like her coat. Yeah, and and granted, like, yeah, as the show like I mean they've talked about like not to go on too much of a of a spiral on the X-Files, but like the, the actors themselves have talked about like how as the show became more popular, the characters themselves became quote unquote cooler. So things like, like the first few seasons, Mulder's hair is always messed up. And then gradually throughout the show, like, you know, it looks kind of more mm-hmm. done up kind of thing. Same with Gillian Anderson. And by the time you get to, you know, the most recent seasons of the show, that's what I'm talking Like you see David Duchovny in a, in a suit and it's a nice, suit like and it fits well like so so i I, yeah yeah i've just noticed like that kind of trend of you know like how things were in the 90s and apparently that was a style and now things have kind of moved to like again kind of like a tighter fit i guess but Mm -hmm. yeah um i don't know it's it's hard I've, i've realized how hard it is for me to be critical in any way of this movie because it's so imprinted on my like feeling of myself as a person <laughs> um and, and like it's it's kind of a test of friendship to see like are we gonna get along do you like gross point blank we'll we'll see yes um, i like gross point blank I've seen, yeah yes. I, I mean see now i think i think you're just scared to admit that you hated it because i would never speak to you again so um <laughs> not at all <laughs> uh i was also thinking how the the end in some ways mirrors um another john cusack movie uh say anything mm-hmm. where they're kind of like in this one they're driving off you know outside of, of the city and in say anything they're 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 the two uh romantic leads are uh taking off in a plane for parts unknown kind yeah. of with uh no real plan um you know john even in that one john cusack does in both of these john cusack doesn't have a job and they're all just kind of like leaving in many ways you could see this as a sequel to uh say anything it's like you know this yeah. is what happened to the same characters 10 10 years later yeah it's just like right after um right after high school like the lloyd dobler um joined the army and became an assassin and then came back to michigan yeah um <laughs> yeah it's it's fun to to see those kind of like john cusack kind of like mannerisms and 
like realize like what kind of people enjoyed about him and it's been a while since i've actually seen him in a in a movie um yeah i did recently watch must love dogs because i was wondering <laughs> like what the hell that movie even was about and it was much different than i thought it was not as I many mean, is dogs. Is the message at the end of it that we all must love dogs? Uh, I don't even remember what the ending was. I think the the main takeaway I got was that somebody can be a professional boat builder, shipwright or whatever, and make small sailboats and never sell any of them, but still somehow have enough money to live. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the um, other romantic trope of the like the other way this mirrors a romantic comedy or the other way it follows is person has weird job you know like (laughs) in you know a lot of them it's it's like you know i'm a radio show host or i'm a um you know advice columnist or you know a job that you like very rarely do you actually meet somebody who has that job yeah exactly Um, there's no like it's to me like it's very unlikely that you would in a romantic comedy meet somebody who's like, Oh, I'm a, um, a project manager or I'm a distribution specialist. Like, yeah. you know, they're yeah. always in advertising or they're always an architect or uh, in this case, an assassin and a uh, disc jockey for a local radio station. Which again, you know, by gross point standards. Uh, and I can't remember, does she have her own place and then they're just at her dad's or does she live yeah, with her dad? It was something about there being a problem with her apartment. Yeah. Like either it burned down or something. I don't know. As or many times as I've seen this movie, I don't remember. Radio, she can't afford an apartment in gross point. In the 90s, you were making good money in the radio. In, in radio. You uh-huh. know, this is just yeah. as the internet was taking off. I should say too that what we are talking like they did shoot um, this movie in Gross Point, but from what I've been able to uh, glean from this is that in typical Gross Point fashion, um, they did not uh, want people filming in Gross Point, so they, <laughs> a lot of the aerial stuff was shot there, but the majority of it was actually shot in California. And John Cusack apparently said like they would have loved to shoot more in Michigan, mm-hmm. but the combination of gross point, not wanting the film to be shot there. And at the time the, you know, the tax incentives weren't what they were or once what they once were like a few years back. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, there was but, that, like that just proves our point even more of like, yeah, yeah that sounds like gross point. Like, yeah, uh, no, we don't want, we don't want any of this. We don't want any outsiders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we, we were, we, we established this place. So leave us alone. Yeah. For what, people, for people who don't know, gross point is one of these, I think they're like five points, something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, or, you know, these five, five or so cities around Detroit where when, um, in the probably 50s and 60s, as more African Americans got opportunity and became and started um, moving into the city and having uh, more upward mobility, uh, all the white people left because of racism. So, Gross Point's one of those cities where all the white people went to. Yeah, um, and it's still to this day like as nice as like if you're in Gross Point, you're like, oh wow, this is really pretty. But it's very much like you know if you've if you followed anything in the news about going on, like going on with Detroit, like there's, there's two sides of, you know, Detroit's revitalization on the one hand, like cool, the the city is coming back on the other hand, 
the entirety of Detroit is 139 square miles. And these residents that have been in the city for many years continue to get pushed further and further out. And so when you're driving like from Detroit, like along Jefferson Avenue or on any one of the um, parallel streets and going into Gross Point, it's literally like night and day crossing one particular street. And then you're in this lovely residential area, but where you were just driving looks like, you know, arguably a pretty dangerous neck of the woods. And it's Mm -hmm. been like that for a long time because, you know, not only because, but largely, um, you know, Gross Point has had that kind of mentality of like, you know, we kind of like things the way they are and we, you know, expect things to stay that way. So it's kind of like, even though there's no actual gate, it feels like there's, um, there used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if yeah, I remember well, correctly then. and, um, I'm remembering from something I either read or listened to a while ago, but if I'm remembering correctly, there used to be literal like walls and barriers that people erected around the town. Yeah. Um, so that others couldn't get in. Exactly, um, yeah. So, you know, I don't think that this movie is the place to say that stuff, you know, like to, to bring that up. Like, but it is a fact of that area and makes, I guess, colors my reaction to it uh, now that I'm older in a way that it didn't uh, when I f- initially watched it. Yeah, and like, again, I... I uh, far be it for me to be the the one who like you know passes or fails the the, the line, but I said that that line that the teacher says to him, I think that's kind of um, it hits it hits the button just perfectly without you know providing yeah. too much commentary on it. Like you know, you're Detroit's biggest disappearing act since White Flight. Like it 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 it, it acknowledges it, it moves on, but it's also like it's giving you like a a kind of knowing nod, like, yeah, we, we know, like, this is part of it. Like, And it's also, it does continue a fine Michigan tradition of being from the suburbs of Detroit and saying you're from Detroit. And it's like, yeah. no, you're fucking not. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, Kid Rock, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> Do we have uh, to claim Kid Rock is one of our own? Like, No, I, I think we can give him to, I don't know, who would who would like him better? Kentucky, maybe? Yeah, um, I don't know. Even uh, Ohio, or, the, or like the sewers, like the sewers. It yeah. could be one of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, no, that too, would be an insult. Cool. Yeah, that would be an insult to the turtles. They don't deserve that. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, something else, just real quickly. I thought I I want to kind of dig into the initial writer behind this. Um, Tom Tom Jankwitz. Yeah, because, like, this is the only thing he ever did in terms of movies, not in his life. Oh, really? But, okay. Like, I was looking up, like, any other credits, and it's just this movie. So I'm wondering if, like, did he just get sick of it, or was this the only thing he wanted to, to make, or? Well, apparently, from, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He spent the next, fi- after the success of Gross Point Blank, he spent the next 15 years writing newspaper articles and okay. working as an advertising copywriter. He worked as a script doctor, editing and improving screenplays. Oh, okay. 
written by other screenwriters. So it kind of did like a Carrie Fisher kind of thing too. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, that's like a lot of people that kind of, you know, quote unquote disappear. Um, like you think about it, Frank Darabont has only made three movies. Well, he's only written and directed three movies. I should say he was, yeah. he directed a couple others, but, um, he makes a lot of his money, you know, being a script doctor on other people's work. Apparently he, uh, he worked on the um, Saving Private Ryan script and helped, you know, refine that. So I'm mm -hmm. not surprised, like, if someone kind of earns success with one project, you know, a lot of people talk about how it's hard to kind of maintain and recreate that and even get your work sold. So it's like if you, if you are successful in this endeavor, if you can have kind of like a steady thing going, which is being a script doctor, like, you know, more power to you. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's also, uh, Thomas Lennon and Ben, Ben Grant, I think, or Grant, okay. I think it's Ben Grant, you know, from the state and, um, Reno 911. Like okay. that's also how they make a lot of their money. They, they came out with a book a while ago, um, that I always wanted to read, but I, I haven't, I never got a chance to, um, but they were like, one of the points they make in the book is like a really great, um, sign for us that the movie is going to get made is when we get fired. Cause that means that's their, <laughs> they're looking to like adapt it more and put more money onto it and stuff. And, and it, it's really crazy how many in, in like a lot of movies, you don't even realize how many writers it actually has. Cause people will go through and punch up jokes or. Uh, just sweeten stuff and sometimes they get credit and sometimes they don't and there's a yeah. lot of crazy rules from the writers guild about how that goes on like gross point blank if you look at imdb had i think six writers maybe yeah i think there's four f in the final credit but like again it started with the story from tom jankwitz and then it looks mm -hmm. like from what i'm seeing on here he wrote it with dv i'm not Dev Devisitis or something, and then Steve Pink and John Cusack also did um, yeah. a draft of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting how many you know uh, eyeballs and hands this thing goes through before it's a finalized script because they want it to be just right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's uh, it's also cool is that Steve Pink, um, who I I'm assuming is friends with John Cusack in some way. At least they have a working relationship because um, he, like you were saying, uh, worked on the script with him. But then he also directed Hot Top Time Machine, uh, <laughs> which had John Cusack in it. So, um, and yeah, he plays he plays like kind of the security guard in this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, now you've got me all nostalgic because um, I'm sure our listeners will will love to know this, but Nick and I met in college in uh, movie and screenwriting courses, and so mm -hmm. um, you'll recall, like I do, being in uh, Keith's classes <laughs> where we were we were learning literally how um, the the credit breakdown works, like the difference between uh, an and being spelled out and the ampersand and what yeah. that means uh, as far as screenwriting goes. And then, you know, like you were saying, how one can get credit for certain things and when credit is not due and how you can, um, uh, you know, sue the writer's guild in order to make sure that you are getting credit if you feel like credit is due. It's a whole yeah. thing. But yeah, this is, this is the foundation 
of mine and Nick's friendship right here is, is yes. <laughs> uh, screenwriting credits. That's how that's how we first uh, knew one another. Yep, and I I did it so well that I never did it as a career at all in any way. Yeah. But I did take the classes. Yeah, so. we, we we saw a fair amount of documentaries of screenwriters saying don't do this, and we were like, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, mm. yeah, right. sounds horrible. Yeah, <laughs> um, like, do you want to perpetually be unemployed? We're like, no, not really. Like, kind of want you know a career. So. Um, you know, actually, I did. I do use it because, like, I teach workshops in video production. Um, and, uh, something we talk about is, is, is script writing formats. Um, and you know, the importance of writing a script. It's crazy how many people make videos without writing a script. Yeah. Um, uh, in this day and age, <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. That's kind of the cynicist in me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but, uh, cynicist, I think, cynicist. Yeah. Uh, um, cynic. Cynic. That's yeah. yeah. See, man, uh, I haven't had enough coffee yet today. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, is there any kind of parting thoughts you wanted to have about this movie before we, we wrap up this old, this old episode? Um, no, I think we've, we've, uh, we've covered everything. Uh, our friendship can remain because I, like I said, I did like the movie. I have some minor, yeah, at least minor, for now. Yeah. My, minor quibbles with it, but, uh, overall I was, I was pleasantly surprised and, uh, enjoyed, you know, all the performances and, um, really enjoyed kind of John Cusack's uh, take on on the character and um, yeah, just everything about it. Uh, it was it was a fun uh, movie going experience. Okay, uh, well that's gonna wrap up Maya and and your kind of discussion of this movie. Um, I think if you haven't seen it, I would say everybody should check it out. Um, it's definitely uh, a fun. Uh, for people of our generation, nostalgia trip in some respects, you know, listening and to the to the soundtrack is, you know, like we were saying, kind of a uh, window into time in some respects. Um, and it's also just a, a relatively good movie, you know, and, um, you know, I guess that's where we come down if we are combining our two feelings about it. I think it's the best movie ever made. And you're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so, it's, you know, we've got got different opinions i guess yeah but we did agree on it which is rare in, yeah. in certain respects exactly yeah i mean there will be plenty of movies where i say this is the greatest movie ever and you'll just be like no i disagree yeah most 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 movies most movies yeah i just i i'm never gonna understand your taste matt it doesn't make any sense yeah i've been told <laughs> people people argue with me like i i try and like deliberately go against the grain and it's like, no, I just, you know, I, I have, when, when people say that someone is a genius or a particular director can like do no wrong, I'm like, eh, can they though? Like, you know, are, like, are we just <laughs> Yeah, but you say pass? that about people all the time. Like you're still watching the X-Files and that is objectively terrible. Oh no, it's not. I mean, the, the most recent season was great. Um, uh -huh. on it. It's fine. Just, I didn't even watch it and I'm not gonna. Yeah, no, you will. I'll get you to watch it. <laughs> Okay, we'll see you back here next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. Bye.